The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous, he has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, this is an intense passage of Scripture, isn't it? There are several of these. This, this psalm is a psalm that is focused on the pain of being sinned against. We all know that pain, right? We all know the feeling of being sinned against and the pain that goes with it. And it, and it depicts a kind of a breaking, a cry, a cry to the Lord, the kind of cry to the Lord that has found its way into the canon of Scripture itself, which tells us that psalms like this, cries of the heart like this, are not only permissible by the Lord, but modeled for us in His Word. This psalm is called um, an imprecatory psalm. Have you ever heard that term, imprecatory psalm, or war psalm? It's, it's one of those psalms where... Um, the psalmist is, asked, is looking at affliction in his life. He's looking at evil that's done against him. And he's asking God, lower the boom. Deal with this. He's asking the Lord, bring a reckoning to the evil. Smite the wicked. What do you do with a psalm like this? A psalm that says, this is me paraphrasing verses five through eight, the psalm is saying, may all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn back. Let them come to nothing. Don't give them anything anywhere at any time. Withhold your blessing from them and bring them to ruin. That's what the psalm is saying. So if I asked you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about incorporating that into your prayer life? Get on that this week. Write it in your journal. How would you feel? Some of us might feel scandalized, right? Some of us might feel really excited. <laughs> I'll start now, right? Uh, some of us might feel just conflicted because it's complicated. It's complicated for this reason. We want to be peaceable people. We want peace to reign and to rule in our lives, right? We want this. But there are some really wicked people who have existed in the world. And there are really evil things that have happened, and we bear the scars of that, body and soul. And so the question is, how do we as enlightened Westerners 
take a psalm like this. What do we do with it? How do we apply it to our lives? What I want to do is I want to start with a big picture view, and then we're going to zoom in and examine ourselves. And I'm warning you, I'm going to move quickly on this uh, because we have other things going on in the service. Big picture. What this psalm is upholding, big picture, is a fundamental concept that I think culturally we're losing our grip on, or spiritually we're losing our grip on. And it's this. This is the big picture principle. We should want for there to be a reckoning for evil. We should want that. Christians should be people who want God to bring a reckoning when it comes to evil. We should want evil eradicated from the world. We should believe such a thing exists. We should believe such a thing as evil exists, and we should hate it, right? And we should ask God, rid the world of it. In fact, we ask God to rid the world of it knowing that that is precisely what he is doing. That's precisely what the plan is. When you look at the end game of Scripture, the new heavens and the new earth, that's what it is. It's a world that has been emptied of all evil forever. So in other words, you should have a war psalm in you, and I should have a war psalm in me. There should be something in me that cries out, Lord, bring an end to the wickedness in the world. Now, If you're a person who thinks in honest terms, you can already start to feel the trap tightening, right? Lord, bring an end to the wickedness in the world. You just, you can't pray that without including yourself in it, right? We'll get there. But it would be a real simple problem if the way evil worked in the world was like in a comic book, where there was an arch villain. And Jesus was the superhero, and he was going to go fight the arch-villain on behalf of all of the rest of us, and when he vanquished the villain, we were all fine, right? It'd be great if that's how it worked, but it's not that simple, and we know it's that simple, because when we start to examine cycles of wickedness, one of the things that we see is it's not an isolated thing, but it's a web, it's a web that ties us up in its cords. We get entangled in it. In fact, the psalm talks about it that way. He's asking the Lord to cut the cords of the wicked. And so I want to look at this, and what I want us to do is I want us to see ourselves in this war. As we're praying for the Lord to bring an end to evil, to eradicate it, how do we need to regard ourselves as we pray this prayer? In verses 4 and 5, he says this. He says, the plowers plowed my back. What an image, right? I mean, that's an image that everybody of this era would have understood. They would have understood the image of a plower plowing because what are they doing? They're making a groove in the earth in which to plant seed that would grow and produce fruit. What an image for the psalmist describing what wicked people's wickedness does to him. It's like they cut a groove in my back and they planted the seeds of wickedness in me. That's an image. 
And he says, Lord, cut the cords of the wicked. He's saying, evildoers, it's like they've plowed my back. They're sowing wickedness, and that wickedness is now growing in me. And what he's telling us are two things that are true here. More than two things, but I'll point these two out. The first thing he's telling us that's true is we can be deeply wounded by the wickedness done against us by others. Everybody in this room of a certain age has been wounded by the wickedness of of other people. Everybody who is aware of such a thing as wickedness has some story. Some of the stories may be small. Some of the stories may be life-defining, ongoing, paralyzing. But you have been wounded. So that's one of the things that we're learning here from Scripture is telling us is true. It's validating is we can be deeply wounded by wickedness done against us. The other thing that we're seeing here is wickedness is like a seed in that it produces a predictable fruit. It's a tangle that traps us and trips us. Where in your life have you been wounded by evil? And where in your life have evil seeds that have been sown produced something similar in you? I just asked a pretty soul-searching question, I think. Where have you been sinned against in such a way that that sin against you now manifests from you and in you? It's a pretty common story, right? It's the child of the alcoholic who becomes an addict, not out of a love for the drink, but because it helps numb the pain of the seeds that were sown. It's the child whose parent abandoned the family for another lover who then goes on to cheat on their spouse, not just because they have a wandering eye, but because of guilt and a profound fear of intimacy. It's, it's the evil act of one man in your life that leads you to hate all men. But because your anger at the one who hurt you runs so deep, it consumes you in all other relationships. It comes out sideways in every other relationship. I could go on and on, right? But, but we, we see this happen. We experience this in us where wickedness is done to me and then it comes out of me in some form. It can be terribly disorienting then when God does what the psalmist prays for the Lord to do. When he says, Lord, cut the cords that entangle me. It can be disorienting when God does that when living in the tangle of that sin is all we know. Really disorienting. Sometimes our first instinct when the Lord begins to break the cycle of wickedness and cut the cords is to search for the end so that we can tie them back together again because it's how we know to live. Here's here's what's crucial for us to understand. If you don't deal with your sin before the Lord, other people will have to deal with your sin. I don't think I made that line up. I I borrowed that. I don't remember who I borrowed that from, but that's not a Russ original. But I'll say it again. If you don't deal with your sin, someone else will have to. 
Someone else is going to have to deal with your anger. Someone else is going to have to deal with your fear of intimacy. Somebody else is going to have to deal with your vengeful spirit, with your manipulation. And this is the essence of a war psalm. Raising a cry to the Lord, deal with it. Cut it. Break it. Deal with the evil around me. Deal with the evil in me. We should want there to be a reckoning for evil. Not simply because we hate how bad it is, but because we want something higher. We don't just want evil to be gone, we want it to be replaced. And we want it to be replaced with perfect peace. And on its deepest level, our longing for peace is something that exists between us and our maker before it exists between us and anybody else. And that's why it's so beautiful to have a psalm like this where the psalmist is asking the Lord to intervene in the darkest parts of his life and he's going to the Lord first with it. Ephesians 2, 1 to 5, paints us into a theological corner. It's a beautiful theological corner, but it's a corner that says that we were lost in our transgressions and sin. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. That apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead in our sin. Apart from his mercy, we were unable to draw near to God because our nature is evil. In other words, the deep furrows of wickedness, of sin, of shame, of cursing, of abandonment, of scorn, have germinated and borne their fruit in every last one of us. But then... Paul goes on in verse 4 and 5 of Ephesians 2. These two beautiful words, but God. You were dead in your sins and your transgressions, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. What's the answer to the imprecatory psalm that says, vanquish evil, eradicate evil from the world, and cut the ties of wickedness and the cords that have entangled me and smother the seeds that are growing and germinating in me? What's the answer to that? The grace of Jesus Christ. That's the answer to that. It's amazing. What he's saying, Paul is saying in Ephesians 2, is that God gave his son to take our sin and our shame and our curse how? By becoming the object of scorn and abandonment. Jesus took our place. And in taking our place, he cut the cords forever. And so because he has, we're then free to pray a war psalm. We're free to say, okay, Lord, I know even before a word of this war psalm, this imprecatory psalm, this eradicate evil from the world and from me, before a word of this comes off my lips, I'm praying it to the one who has already done this. And so we pray with confidence. We pray a war song. We ask for evil to be wiped off the face of the earth, starting with ourselves, knowing that Christ has cut the cords of evil in such a way that they can never again be retied. So I'm asking us, let a war psalm live in your heart. A cry of the soul that says, search me. Know me. See if there's any offensive, wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me out of the patterns of sin, of the, of the sin that has grown in me through the wickedness of others. 
Lord, deliver me from the seeds that my own wickedness is sowing in the backs of people that I know and that I love. Spare my children, spare my friends, spare my spouse, spare my coworkers from evil sown by me into them. Let a war psalm live in you. We have this in Romans 12, right? Paul says this, let your love be genuine, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. In other words, have a conscience and be upset by evil. But don't become the one who curses. The cords of the curse are cut for you in Christ. So don't become the one who curses. Because he stepped in the way of the justice you deserved and took it upon himself and forgave you, pursued you, loves you, made you a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because he did all that, you're righteous in his sight. And you're righteous because he is righteous. So hate the evil in the world, yes. Ask the Lord to end it, yes. But remember that this is a work he doesn't just do around you. He does it in us. And he has in the finished work of Christ. Amen? Pray with me. Father, thank you for war psalms, for passages that remind us that we are supposed to be troubled by evil and that it's supposed to draw from us a response that you would end it. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is the assurance that you have indeed done that very thing, that you have brought an end to evil in the world, and so we thank you for that. Lord, continue to lead us and guide us this morning in this worship service as we come to your table now and commission and ordain and install uh, leaders that you have brought into our congregation. Thank you for, for, for the way that you have blessed us, the many ways you have blessed us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.